You're listening to the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast, where we focus on taking your passion and turning it into your profits. Join us for interviews with business experts, industry influencers, and more. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Next Generation Cheer and Gymnastics Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton, and today we have a really special interview with Matthew Becker, the owner of gymlawyers.com. We're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff that is so important for you if you are the owner of your gym to understand some of the legal steps you need to take, or if you're going to be starting a gym, some of the legal steps you need to be taking to ensure you are protected. Before we get into the episode, make sure you head over to uh, our website, nextgenowners.com. You've also joined our Gym Owners Facebook group, NG Cheer and Gymnastics Owners on Facebook. And lastly, get registered for conference. It's going to be an amazing one. We want to see you there January 7th and 8th in Las Vegas. Make sure you get registered. Don't wait. Plane tickets are super cheap right now. So get those plane tickets and get yourself your staff, your managers registered to come to conference. There's going to be so much great learning, just like you're going to get out of this episode. All right, without any further ado, let's get into it. All right, everyone, uh, welcome to the episode. I am here with Matt uh, Becker, and Matt is an attorney. Matt also is a uh, gym owner in the fitness space, Uh, and so Matt has a lot of experience in um, the sports industry, and he has a lot of experience working with gym owners and helping them make sure that all of their legal requirements are met and they've set themselves up for success. So we're going to be chatting about uh, all things law. And I, I'm not cool. I don't have an Esquire next to my name, so I don't like, I don't have that uh, credibility. I'm just going to be given my input and. I've disappointed everyone who's who's tuning in. We were just chatting and I was giving him some feedback on kind of the cheer industry and some of it would have been really interesting for you all to listen to. So we're just going to get to talking. So uh, Matt, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's the day after Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful one. And uh, with all of that said, why don't I let you do a much better job introducing yourself than I did? <laughs> Not a problem. Good morning, Dan. And thank you. And thank you for for hopping on here the day after Thanksgiving. Um, you know, I, I certainly didn't want to go shopping today. So, so getting to, getting to talk about the law is so much better, right? Absolutely. Uh, uh, but I, I promise if I use any giant legal terms, I will, I will bring them down and explain them out because, uh, yeah, this, this stuff can be confusing, but, but by no means does it, does it, does it absolutely have to be confusing or complicated. So as you said, uh, my name is, is Matthew Becker. Um, I have been an attorney uh, here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania since 2009. Um, I've been a gym owner since 2013. Um, I'm, a, I'm a CrossFit gym owner, uh, but you know certainly a lot of this, these principles, um, what we call legal exposures, if you will, apply across the, the fitness industry in general. Um, so uh, I started, by, as I said, started practicing 2009, um, started my gym in 2013, did both for pretty much full time for about six years, and then started to pare back my legal practice in order to put more full time into my gym to get that guy to grow. Um, got that to grow, and as soon as I got out of the legal practice, I uh, decided to move back in, in in this sort of consulting 
realm for gym owners uh, saw a gap in sort of the professional services that are offered to gyms, uh, just just as you guys did, right? You see this yep. gap in the in the consulting of how to run a gym, whether it's a yoga gym, a cheer gym, a, a CrossFit gym, whatever it is, there are there are, are best practices. And part of those best practices means that we need professionals, uh, whether it's accounting, whether it's insurance, whether it's business consulting, whether it's legal, to make sure that we, we have specialized knowledge coming into the industry. Um, and so I decided to bring what I've known from practicing the law, combining with what I've known from running a gym, and put those together and, and started gym lawyers. Um, so, you know, the old caveat of, of nothing that you can hear on this podcast can actually be taken as legal advice. We're going to talk in some pretty broad generalities, but I'll try to pare it down into, into areas that I know very well. Um, and, you know, if anybody ever has any additional questions about any of it, I'm always happy to get more specific one-on-one. Absolutely. So uh, this is a space where... Uh, is really lacking in the cheer world. Like, so that gap that you saw on the fitness side, there are no cheer lawyers. There's no lawyers that (laughs) understand our industry. Uh, We obviously, we always recommend clients have an attorney uh, Mm -hmm. that they have, that they go to. um, But even I myself, we're scary. Yeah. We're we're scary and we're expensive. Oftentimes I try not to be either scary or expensive, but, but we can be. And and I get, I get why you don't want to go. And the, the challenge that I've had is uh, most attorneys I, I contact, they say, well, you don't really need us on retainer because you're not really that big a client. You're not going to be using us regularly. Um, so, you know, unless we have a specific need, it, they don't really want us as like on their, their books as a client. And then right. on top of that, uh, when we have a need, Sometimes they're right in the middle of some sort of litigation or a case or something going on, and they don't have the time to accommodate us. So then we're stuck in the realm of now I'm hunting for a new, new attorney. Yep. And yep. Uh, that's, I know, been frustrating on my end because uh, I've had few legal needs. We had kind of one group we worked with for a while, and then when I needed them, they didn't return my phone calls. And so and then I had to find a new one, and uh, it becomes kind of a challenge there. So, uh, it, thank you for sitting down and I, I think there's going to be a lot of knowledge bombs dropped today cause we've already had a couple. So, uh, <laughs> let's, let's get started. Uh, you, there's, there's a long list of things that you have experience in. Uh, we do have gym owners that are within their first, they maybe haven't opened their gym yet, or they uh-huh. are thinking about opening one or they're within their first year or two where they can like easily, correct maybe some missteps that they made. Uh, So when you start up your business, what are some things that you legally really need to make sure you do? Okay. Yeah. Really great. So first and foremost, uh, before you ever like sit down and and put a business plan together or anything like that, whenever the the concept comes into your mind and and that second that you decide I'm going to do this, Right. The first thing that we recommend that you do is, is you go file in your local state for either an LLC or a corporation. And, and as we talk, just for the ease of only using like one term, I'm just going to refer to it as an LLC. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll talk about what that is. But just know that there are LLCs and there are corporations. For our purposes, they're typically one and the same. But 
an, an LLC is short for a limited liability company, right? And I think at, at times people can think, oh, well, that's like, that's like, like big, serious stuff. Like, I don't, I don't need to be a, a company. That's like Nike level things, right? Like, I don't need that. But you do. And, and the reason for that is a limited liability company is designed to protect you and your personal assets or you and your family's personal assets from legal liability. So it's a very, it's a, it's a relatively easy process. We help gym owners with it. We advise gym owners on how to do it. A lot of it's done online, but that needs to be step number one is file for your limited liability company so that everything moving forward can be done in the name of that LLC. And then you, pr you, you protect yourself, right? If, mm -hmm. if I've got $10,000 in the bank, I don't want to expose that $10,000 to, you know, ultimately somebody that comes into my gym and injures themselves or has an issue or whatever. So, you know, I, I, again, we're going to talk broad level on this stuff. Happy to dive further into any of these topics, but um, that's sort of step number one is, is get that limited liability company. And then um, step number two is hire somebody, an attorney usually, who can draft an operating agreement. Um, and so an operating agreement is a multi-page document that basically acts as a contractual agreement between you as the individual and your LLC as the company, okay? And this is a, a bit of a legal fiction that the limited liability company is its own individual, okay, hmm. bear with me, which means it can enter contracts, it can sign a lease, it can take on debt, it can open bank accounts, it can be sued. Basically anything you can do, the LLC can do. So you have to enter a contract with this LLC in order to give it the possibility and the potential to do things. Hmm. That's the operating agreement. And part of what this acts as is this formality that is non-existent in the micro gym industry, hence why I'm here. And as, as you've alluded to, is probably non-existent in the cheer industry, <clears throat> which is just this business formality that we all open our gyms and we think, it's kind of like a hobby and I get to go in my pajamas and not really like workout clothes. I used to work for an attorney who always said I get to work in my pajamas and, and, you know, I get to train people and it's all happy and we played loud music and it's just fun, right? Why do we need formality? And the problem is you need formality because when there is a problem, that formality is what's ultimately going to protect you. Right? right. So, so we, so we try to, we try to help gym owners see like, this formality, it isn't really that, it isn't that exciting. It isn't that hard. You know, it's just these steps that we have to take. So LLC, operating agreement. Go ahead. So, you look like you got a question. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad in. you can read my mind. Uh, so <laughs> the LLC, obviously very simple, uh, understand that piece and, and hopefully everyone does. Um, and I don't want to go too down, too far down the rabbit trail of maybe going to an S corp at some point in time when your business mm -hmm, is mm -hmm, ready for mm -hmm. it for tax purposes. Um, so, uh, operating agreements, I, I, there were two things I, I wanted to add in there. What do you do if you're a gym like me and you don't have a significant, like you've been in business for 10 years and you don't really mm -hmm. have a true written operating agreement by an attorney. What, mm -hmm. Can you do that now? Yeah, get one. Get one ASAP. Um, 
because you know most states don't require an LLC to have one. Um, New York, for example, does. You have to have a written operating agreement. Mm -hmm. um, but if you end up with an issue, you know, a legal issue, anytime it would a legal issue, the plaintiff or the the plaintiff's attorney that is suing you or your gym, the first thing they're going to do is want that operating agreement because if you don't have it. You can slide that LLC off to the side. And it means absolutely nothing. Okay, so even if you've been in business for ten years and you don't have one, now is you know it's it's better. You know what is what is that old saying? There's there's no time like the present. Correct. Get it now, and it still applies. All right. the The issue that you run into is if you wait until you get sued, and then you try to get an operating agreement. Right. That doesn't count. Now, doesn't count. what? Why shouldn't? Uh, one of our gym owners who's super smart and they've read a book and they stayed at a Holiday Inn Express once, why shouldn't <laughs> they write their own operating agreement and why should they pay money for someone like you to do it? Well, why can't I just go online and look how to do a bunch of cheer moves and then go out and do it myself, right? Like, right. <laughs> no, this, this is this is you know this is what keeps these these sorts of things like keep me up at night. I'm like, because ah, you need somebody. All right, the the. There is not one kind of operating agreement, all right? And, and I'll just throw a whole bunch of terms out there, and maybe it'll scare people, right? There are single-member, member-managed operating agreements. There are single-member, manager-managed operating agreements. There are multi-member, member-managed operating agreements, all right? And I can go down the list. Um, there are various provisions by which you need to have. What's your capital contribution? What's the purpose of the business? What's the indemnification clause? What's the distribution schedule? All right, and, and again, I'm, I'm not explaining any of this because I wanted to sort of be like, what are you talking about, right? Um, every business has its own specific wants, desires, way this is that it functions and everything else. And, and for me to go out online and pull a form and just fill in the form. I, I've done this with with gym owners, and I'll say, you know, send me your operating agreement to have me review it. Let me just make sure it's protecting you. And they do so, and I say, I mean, you told me it's only you. You have a multi-member manager-managed operating agreement. Like, who are the other who are the other members, and who have you nominated as your manager? And they just have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yes, does that information exist? Sure, it does. Um, but if you mess it up, then it's going to cost you a whole lot more to fix it than it would have to just call somebody and have it done right the first time. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I I have a little bit of background in the legal sphere. Um, I've worked full time as a police officer for the last 15 years. Now that's ah, criminal very law, nice. but yeah, 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 that's not that's not corporate law. But oftentimes the devil's in the details and mm -hmm. how you phrase something, how you word it um, mm -hmm. can make a really big difference when it comes into situations like that. Is that still correct for an operating agreement? 100%. And it, it's going to be correct for just about anything and everything that we talk about. Um, and, and you do have an appreciation for that as, as a police officer, because you know, the first thing, the first time you mess up your, your, your criminal report, some savvy defense attorney is going to come in there and just pick it to pieces. Yep. Right. And you're going to sit up on the stand and just, you know, if you had hair, rip your hair out at the fact that like, you're like, I, I misspelled a word, right? right exactly. <laughs> that doesn't mean the rest of it's wrong. <laughs> 
I know, but but that's what attorneys do. Yep. So yes, the devil is 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 in the details, and the language matters. Um, you know, let me let me give you one more example. When we, when you talk we talk liability waivers, and if you don't have a liability waiver, by golly, like that's that's like step number four uh, is is get a liability waiver. And and when I first started, I would talk to a number of different gyms who would all send me their liability waivers to review. And I don't know where they were all getting the same exact liability waiver, but it all referred to the climbing wall in the gym. And I would go online and I would look at like the Instagrams, I'd look at the Facebook, and I'd look at their website, and I'd reach back out to these gyms like, I see no pictures of a climbing wall. Why does your why does your waiver keep referring to the climbing wall? And it's things like that where it's like if that stuff's in there, you know, an attorney's going to attack that and be like the the person who wrote this or the person who was reading it didn't fully understand what it was that they were reading or writing because there's information in here that's not even applicable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, dev, devil is definitely in the details when it comes to this stuff. So since we started talking about it and you said step, well, step three was, op, or step two was operating agreement. Step yeah. three, four was a waiver. So there is a step three. <laughs> uh <laughs> that we're skipping briefly. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the waiver thing though, because that's something that a new owner and a current owner um, should have uh, and, and yeah. be putting into place. But you, I know I've heard, look, a waiver's as good as the paper it's written on, meaning mm-hmm. you, know, you mm-hmm. can still, people oftentimes adopt the attitude of, well, I can still get sued, so it doesn't really matter that much. So right. tell yeah. me yeah, why very good. it matters. And help our help our listeners understand that why they need to pay for a professional to draft their waiver, help them adjust it, make sure it's legally strong, even though mm-hmm. they can still get sued. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's throw another sort of generality out here, and that no matter what you and I talk about, no matter how much you pay that big corporate attorney in order to put all this stuff together, no matter how hard you try, you will never guarantee that somebody cannot sue you. People will sue you for any and every reason, and they can for any and every reason. Now, there are protections that go in place after that happens, but it doesn't matter what you do. You can't prevent somebody from suing you. So the idea is that we prepare now in order to sort of lessen the blow in the long run if what I will always refer to as the worst case scenario happens and you do get sued. So when we're talking about negligence, all negligence is basically you having a duty to protect your members, your clients, um, your teams, as you were talking about, uh, whoever's coming into your gym and paying you money, as soon as they pay you money, um, or they come in and they put any kind of trust in you, you owe them a duty not to hurt them. And if they get injured, that can now become negligence. All right. So there's two kinds of negligence. There's gross negligence and there's ordinary negligence. And gross negligence is basically like you completely disregarding something that you knew would have prevented an injury and you tell them to do it anyway and they get hurt. And that's what's called reckless disregard. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it doesn't matter how bulletproof your waiver is, it's never going to protect you. So let's try to use this as a cheer example. Uh, You have a, a, a client who comes in and he or she says, my ankle is, is really bothering me today. Um, I don't know if I should tumble. 
right? And and you really want it. You're you're trying to prep for something. So you look at the the the, the client and you say, let's just uh, let's just do it. Let's see what happens, right? Like I get it, but we got something coming up soon. I don't I want you to get out of practice. So let's go ahead and, and and let's start tumbling and see what happens. And and they go out and they tumble a little bit and and they 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 land and they come back to you limping. My ankle really. I don't know. It's just, it's like really hurting. I'm worried there's something wrong with it. And you say, it, it's okay. All right. And, you know, you feel around a little bit where you, you, know, you do whatever kind of medical thing you think is, is, is beneficiary. And you say, you know, just let's go do one more pass. And they go and they do one more pass. And there it goes. The ankle snaps. All right. That's gross negligence because you knew that the client was complaining about something that hurt. You knew that they continued to say that it hurt and it technically got worse and you disregarded it and you told them to go do it anyway, right? doesn't yeah. matter what waiver you have. That's not, it's not going to protect you. Call your insurance company right away. Is right? it, is it gross negligence on the first one? Hey, let's see how it feels. Let's uh, do a little bit of light stuff and, and see if that so, aggravates it. Is that going to be a gross negligence right. or is that? So that now goes into the gray area. And that's what litigation is made out of, okay? Um, because now, because you had a waiver, and the waiver has the individual, or in, in, in your case, uh, likely going to be a parent, guardian, or custodian um, signing on behalf of a minor, which means you need a special minor's waiver, okay? Um, they're acknowledging that this is dangerous. They're acknowledging that there's a, a high risk of injury. They're accepting responsibility for that fact. And they're waiving the ability to bring a lawsuit against you if the person gets injured. So in that case, you know, let's kind of break this up into two other scenarios. Let's say this client comes in and doesn't say anything about the injury uh, for whatever reason. Maybe they don't want to make a big deal of it. Maybe they don't want to be a complainer. Maybe something has happened in the past where they don't feel comfortable, whatever it is. And they go and they tumble and they break their ankle. But you didn't know one way or the other. That's pretty ordinary negligence, right? We get into that gray area of they said so and you just had them go and you had them tumble one time or a couple of times and they come back and they said it hurt. Um, and then you told them to stop but then they go to the doctor and they find out that it was sprained or it was a stress fracture or something like that, right? And they try to, to bring a suit. That's in the gray area. And, and you better have a waiver because if it's looked at as more of the ordinary negligence, that's where the waiver is going to protect you, right? And, and, and that's, that's your hundreds of thousands of dollars lawsuit that the waiver is going to come in and they're going to say, well, you signed this. You knew exactly what you were getting into because it was very clear from the waiver uh, of what you signed and you knew you were going to be injured. Yeah. Every cheer coach in the world, when you said an athlete comes in and says, oh, my ankle hurts I and, <laughs> and heard that athlete has to sit out now, uh, had a mild heart attack because I know. we deal with kids and they come in and are like, my finger hurts. And I understand like, that. Uh, sometimes you got to be like, well, did you do something to it? No, I just woke up and it hurt. Well, can yeah. you move it? Yep. Mm. Yeah. Up to you. Yeah, and, and and you guys probably have it worse than and, than we do in 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 the micro gym space, because you know if I get a client that comes in and says my back's a little bit achy, 
you know, I can run them through a couple of assessments to try to figure out, is it something I really need to be concerned about? I can still have them sub in a different movement or scale a movement or modify a movement and still right. get them in workout. When we're talking back handsprings and backflips, you can't sub something in for that and still get the benefit of the movement. Uh, you know, they have to be able to perform that movement to a particular standard. Yeah, um, it, it's the it's the competitive side, right? It's the team coaches that are like, I need this kid to do this now. From a recreational side, similar thing. The kid comes yep. in the gym and they're like, oh, my, my knee hurts today. We're, we're like, okay, well, let's work on things that don't aggravate that and yeah, sure. involve your knee because there's no pressure aside from to deliver them a great class. That's what we're trying to do. Right. But when you have... 28 other people looking at you going, well, we need that person to do their job or we can't practice mm-hmm. efficiently. Uh, it's a little bit of a different, different scenario. So <clears throat> anyways, uh, not to go too far down that rabbit trail. So the waiver, uh, gross negligence is really, it's out there, right? Like if you are grossly yeah. negligent, you're done. Most likely. It doesn't matter. But if, if you run this, if you run this client through a whole series of questions, and you have them sign a waiver and the, the more information that you know and the more that you sort of leave it up to the athlete's choice with support of that waiver, the better off you are in avoiding that gross negligence issue. Do you need a waiver that day? Like, do you need to be like, go sign another waiver? Oh, um, like, yeah, that's a good, that's a, I would, I don't know that you would have them sign another waiver. Okay. Um, you know that almost kind of that makes me think almost of like a um, like a, against against a doctor's advice kind of a, right. of a document. Right. Um, and I don't know. I you know, I, w- I would give that some serious thought as to whether or not there would be a um, again your coach though probably doesn't want to tell this this athlete like I don't think you should do this today, but if you really want to sign this document acknowledging that I told you not to do it and you decided to do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, any any coach that I work with or knows me would know that I would say absolutely don't do that. If, if you think a kid shouldn't practice, then that kid should not practice. Um, yeah. And I've, I mean, every good coach has gone, no, sit down, you're done. Like, I don't care if you're telling me it doesn't hurt, you're limping, you need to go yeah. see the doctor. So, uh, And I think that's the best standard way to do it. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, I was just curious, as you said, you know, they need to sign that waiver, use that as a support, which we obviously, everyone who comes in our, our facility signs a waiver, um, mm-hmm. for anything. So, um, what are in your mind, as you look through a waiver, what are things that immediately jump out at you as like, this is not a good waiver or this is mm-hmm. a really solid waiver? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the first thing that I look for whenever I, I take a waiver and look at it is the length, all right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that the longer the better, um, but I, I've, I've looked at waivers in the past that are one page in a series of like 10 single sentence paragraphs, if you will. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't think that's very sufficient. I don't know that courts of law would uphold something like that. Um, but on the flip side of it, it can't be so complicated that you need a law degree in order to understand it. Um, so one of the difficulties that we have as attorneys in putting together waivers or understanding what needs to be in a waiver in order to protect a gym owner is that unlike other areas of law where there are specific statutes that say this has to be in here, this has to be in here, like we may get into with membership contracts, 
there isn't such things for waivers. So we're stuck looking at what's called case law, which is, you know, somebody sues you and they go and they challenge something in court and then the court writes an opinion, that's case law. And then we go and we read those opinions in order to try to predict what a court of law is going to do again in the future, right? And so we're sort of left to reading that case law and looking at what worked and what didn't work. And then we put that together in the waiver in hopes that in the future that'll work or we know that that won't work. Um, and one of the one of the common things that we can see across almost all case law when it comes to waivers is that the person who is signing it must be informed and they must be informed in a very clear and what's called conspicuous way. Okay. And so and so what I mean by that is if I take one document and it's two pages long and I take all of the information that I need and I throw it in one giant paragraph that's two pages long. That is not clear. Anybody who's reading that isn't going to be able to fully understand exactly what it is that they're reading. Okay. But if I take that same two pages and I break it up into individual paragraphs with bold type and italicized and capital letters and headings, all right, and I make sure that you know this section is called the acknowledgement of risk, and this section is called the acceptance of responsibility, and this section is called the likeness waiver, and this section is the CCTV waiver. Okay, and and you break it down into little uh, individual sections like that, then we get more and more clear about what it is that the person is reading and signing and agreeing to. So oftentimes when I'm looking at a waiver, those are the things I'll look for is, is the necessary language in there? And if it is, is it broken out in a way that I can read and digest this paragraph, and then I can read and digest this paragraph, and then I can read and digest this paragraph, and the whole time, if I have any questions, I can stop and ask somebody. That makes sense. Yeah. So how long is an average gym waiver for you? Um, three pages would, it would be one that, that hits that. That's a pretty long one for us is three pages if it goes over. Um, and some of that is just specific language to that gym. Right. You, and, and let me give you an example. You were talking earlier about why can't I just go out online and, and find one of the Legal multiple Zoom. form examples? Yep. Uh, and just pay for it and, and put all my information in there and, and we go. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that gets very specific to our industry, and I'll just say gym industry, you know, our industry, is something like cameras. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of micro gyms are putting cameras in. I would imagine you guys are the same. You have cheer gyms that are putting cameras in. Yep. Um, and, and so we suggest that your waiver has what I call the CCTV section, um, which just has the client acknowledging that you're recording them and that they have no rights to that recording and that you're able to, to use that recording and in order to protect yourself at some point in the future. Um, or probably not so much for you guys. Well, you would need you know, service animals. You can't tell somebody who has a certified service animal they're not allowed to bring their service animal to your gym. It's a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Right. Um, but you can certainly have a, a portion in your waiver that we add in there that says your service animal must be certified and you're 100% responsible for that animal. And if it damages any property or, or injures anybody, um, you know, you got to have that language in your waiver. 
Okay. So there's a lot of uh, gym owners listening to this going, crud, I uh, need <laughs> to redo my waiver. And I'm even, mine's probably too short. Um, and, you know, we had ours drafted by an attorney, but it was 15 years ago. I mean, we just yeah. adopted the old waiver that the previous owner had that he yeah. had his attorney draft and uh, updated some things. And, you know, we've made little adjustments, but um, yeah, I mean, we probably need to do it too. So um, you're, you're making me think on some stuff that we <laughs> need to do as well. Um, at, when we were getting started, um, I, I know you, you mentioned previously before us getting on the, the call that commercial leases are unimportant. Uh, aspect mm-hmm. of um, mm-hmm. things to set up. And most of us uh, are in commercial leases versus owning our buildings. There are definitely mm-hmm. some of us that are fortunate enough to own our own buildings. I'm not one of them. Uh, so what are typically my commercial leases have always been drafted by my commercial realtors. Um, yeah. and, and they take care of that and they run it through their legal um, but what are some things that owners need to be making sure are in their commercial leases so that they're protected and that they're, they're right, legally speaking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so they, when it comes to a commercial lease uh, or really, you know, any contract that is given to the, to the gym owner to sign, you know, we'll, we'll see this sometimes in construction contracts as well, or build out, if you will, tenant improvements on commercial leases. But anytime the, the, the gym owner is handed a contract, the first priority is making sure that the gym owner actually understands everything that's in that contract and everything that the gym owner is signing. Uh, when it comes to a commercial lease, this can become very difficult um, because... Now we're looking at somewhere upwards of, of potentially 20, 30, 40. I've seen 55 page commercial leases full of just, I mean, like the most convoluted, difficult to understand by yeah. even by an attorney legal language. Um, and so, you know, the first thing that a gym owner needs to understand is what is your actual monthly obligation? that you have to pay as a result of this commercial lease. And you know, we can throw terms out here again, like is it a gross lease? Is it a net lease? Is it a triple net lease? And all of those determine how much you will actually spend, whether it's on top of your base rent or anything like that. And then do we need to negotiate any of that? Right? Do we need to understand like, you know, the triple net expenses, the 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 insurance premium that you're going to end up having to pay on behalf of your your landlord that's going to vary every year instead of having it vary every year can we go back and negotiate with the landlord to say we'll agree to this amount i may be paying a little bit more on year one two and three but i'm predicting that insurance premiums are going to increase so on years four five and six it will probably level out okay so we got to understand that um we need to look at the use of premise section. Every, every commercial lease is going to have a, a section that says, what is the premise actually being used for? Okay. And where we run into a big problem is if you're running any kind of a gym, and again, cheer gyms are going to be just like my gym. We're playing loud music. We're making noises. We're yelling and screaming. You're maybe dropping some things and, and making a lot of noise. Okay. Um, your commercial lease needs to put your landlord on notice of that because if it doesn't, the landlord could come in afterwards and say, you're causing a problem. You need to go uh, stop 
you need to get out. Um, I'm going to make you, you, you turn the music down, you know, whatever it is. And if you've already signed the lease, it's really hard to then go back in and renegotiate that. Right. So we tell gym owners, you need to be very clear up front about what you're doing and put that in the use of premise so that the landlord understand what's go- understands what's going on. Um, uh, would you say there is a, uh, a precedence standard if you've been in your space for five years you've signed you've re-signed a new lease and maybe you didn't have that in your lease initially but you've been operating you've created precedent that you play loud music you do these things let's say they move a new tenant in next door and that tenant complains at that point have you do you have any legal standing of of that precedence or are you out of luck uh, you certainly have a better argument, okay? If, if that new tenant moves in and all of a sudden starts to cause a problem, you can very easily go back now. You have a great argument to say, we've been doing this for three years. There's been no issues whatsoever. Before this tenant moved in, you knew exactly what we were doing and exactly what the expectation was. And you had this this new tenant move in anyway. We're already here doing our stuff. This new tenant should not be able to come in now and prevent us from operating our business the way we've been doing it the whole time. Um, so you definitely have a better argument whether or not it's a complete winner. You know, there's way too many factors to predict right now in order to be able to make that adjustment. But right. um, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it definitely helps if you can create a history of it. Um, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, that all, that all makes sense. And, and most people are going to either are in leases or are in the process of negotiating. Um, we just re-signed our lease. Uh, yep. It's the most lovely process in the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we had the unfortunate luck of signing right when rates were the highest. Oh, so they, that's you been know, such an yeah. issue lately. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we got our attorney involved in this one because I'm like, look, you can't, you can't raise my rates almost double, yep. and and say that's fair market value, and and we unfortunately we didn't have an attorney look over our initial uh, lease the year the one prior, and there was language that said fair market value as determined by the landlord. Yep. Well, they got to say whatever they want, um, yep. and. Uh, so they can, and they own multiple spaces. So they go, well, all of our spaces are renting for this. So that's fair market value. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's complete nonsense, but it wasn't fair market value at all, but that's what we had to do to stay in our space and there was nothing available. So, um, and that's a prime example of, you know, do we have a lot of room to negotiate a lease? It depends on the lease, but by all means, every lease has language in there. Like you just explained. And our position is, as a, as a gym owner, you need to fully understand that that language is in there so that you can make a good business decision for yourself as to whether or not you want to go ahead and sign that lease. Yep. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll throw in another quick example that we see a lot involves the HVAC system. And so if you, your lease, 
likely is going to say that you're in charge of maintaining the HVAC system. Yep. And gym owners will go in and they'll be anxious to get a, a location so they can hit the ground running with their new gym. And it's all cool and wonderful. And they sign this lease that puts 100% responsibility on the tenant to maintain the HVAC system, not realizing the HVAC system is 25 years old. And they walk in in six months, the HVAC system goes under and now they're stuck spending five, ten, twelve thousand dollars on a new HVAC system because the lease says it's their responsibility. Um, and yep. you know, we, we need to, we need to see things like that and go back to the gym owner and say, it's in here. We strongly recommend that you go in and you, you, you know, in this instance, you go in and, and you have somebody inspect that HVAC system because this is, these are the types of things that happen. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like you wouldn't buy a house without having an inspection done. And, right. Uh, but yet we get into these commercial leases that, I mean, my commercial lease is, uh, I think it's over three quarters of a million dollars over five years, you know? So yep. that's, yep. that's a lot of, a lot a more lot than my mortgage. Um, yep. and yet people don't get inspections. People don't bring in professionals to say, does this equipment work that I'm saying I'm going to maintain? Because those are mm -hmm. things that you could like, you could have your attorney go back and say, no, look, we had this inspected. They said it's not really serviceable. It needs a bunch of work. You need to do that before we take on the lease and then we'll yep. do the ongoing maintenance. And that yep. would be a fairly reasonable request of a, a building owner. Oh, it's very, it's, 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 I mean, that's landlords should expect that stuff. I mean, they don't because majority of people don't do it, but you know, you, uh, gym owners need to remember they have leverage, right? The, the, the landlords are motivated to rent this stuff. They don't want to sit on them uh, because they're not making any money. And, right. and, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to sit on a bit of big open space. So they're motivated. So push back a little bit and negotiate some of these pieces of, of the leases, know that it's there. Um, you know, we'll, we'll oftentimes again, see other leases that have, noise ordinance or noise restrictions in there. I can't advise a gym owner to sign a lease that has a noise restriction because you, right. we're all going to make noise. We know right. we're going to make noise. Tier gyms are going right. to make a lot of noise. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and fitness gyms, we have one right next door to us and they make a bit of noise, but we love it. Like bring it on because they're not complaining about our music and we're not complaining about theirs or their plates or anything like that hitting the floor. Like, okay. Yep. That's fitness. Sounds good. Yeah. It's musical. Um, yeah, it's uh, that whole pushback thing I think is so important for gym owners to hear is, and that they do have a leverage. Um, that's one of the things that I didn't realize early on when we first signed our lease. And then as we've re-signed leases, we've done more pushback because it's like, no, look, you want, you want our money. And, mm -hmm. and gym owners, like we're cheap. What a lot of us don't realize is we're the, we're a great tenant in a lot of ways because we don't want you to do a ton of improvements. We don't need you to put in 220 electrical drops and all these different things for warehouses or special ventilation yep. systems. Give me a wide open space where I can yep. put my equipment and leave me alone. That's and leave me alone. That's all I need. Um, yeah. And so a, a good landlord uh, will quickly realize that there are some benefits to having you in there and, that's something we've always fired back with moving into spaces like, look, we don't need any improvements and any tenant improvements we need, we can do ourselves. We don't need yeah. you to modify the space. And that is, that does give you some negotiating power. So 
And having an attorney do that negotiation is much better than you doing that negotiation. It definitely helps. Yeah. You guys just, you, I don't know. Do you, do you go to a specific class in school that makes you learn how to draft letters being really polite, but also very terrifying <laughs> at the same time? So, no. I've said, though, that law school doesn't actually prepare you for, like, the practice of law, you know, it, it doesn't, but it, what it, what it does is, is it teaches you how to, to read, write and find the answer. Um, and so, you know, you, you spend law school in the first few years of your practice reading these nasty letters and, and, and all this stuff. And you just start to adapt the language and you learn like, oh yeah, that's what a nasty letter sounds like. And then you just learn how to, how to write nasty letters. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> They're polite though, but they're super nasty. It's like, you're a horrible person, but I'm going to say these in very like clear and polite words and you're horrible and I want your money. So, (laughs) or you're horrible and stop doing this thing. Um, it's just, it's so impressive. Do you get that emotional feeling reading letters from attorneys and and legal people that I think the rest of the world feels, or do you just read it and you're like, "Ah, I don't care? Um, that's a, that's a good question. I would say that that anymore, I just I I read them and get annoyed because like now I have to do something about it. <laughs> it's That's like, fair. <laughs> you know, I, I we joke in, in the gym industry of like, you know, I'll, I'll do anything, but like just don't make me run because if you make me run, I'm just going to get aggravated about it, right? Um, and, and it's like that too. Like I, I I love I love my job until you make me do work, and then I get mad about it. Right. Like I'll work all day long as long as I get to pick to do the work. But as soon as you send me a letter that makes me have to do work, now you just pissed me off. Now I'm annoyed. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we were talking right before the call, and I don't want to go too long uh, for our listeners, uh, so we'll probably have to do another another interview when you have time. Happy to do it. Um, I I imagine you might get a little bit of business uh, from some of our people here in the near future. (laughs) So you may have to brush up on your your cheer industry knowledge. Um, Yeah. Because we are a big. By the way, hold on, Dan. Can you hear my dog barking? Has he, I can, but it doesn't bug me. Like five minutes. Okay. If so, I can go up there and shut her up. I just didn't want to go off camera to go up there and, and make her stop barking, but she no. keeps going for some reason. Well, there's probably a squirrel or something. Yeah, probably. Um, so we uh, we were talking about uh, the contracts, and we were talking yes. a little bit about uh, our all star members who have contracts, but talking about the the need for need for a contract with your recreational clients, even if it's more month to month um, and they can drop when they want to. But you mentioned there's a a particular law across the country um, Mm -hmm. that I think is important that people know about. And then why is it important that we have contracts with our recreational clients just as much as we would have contracts with our all-star clients? Yeah. Yeah. Really great question. Um, and again, this is something that is, it goes across industry, um, why we need to have membership contracts and, you know, I'll, I'll start on federal level of federal law and then I'll bump, I'll bump it down into to state specific. So federal law, um, there's a, a, a federal statute called the electronic transfer funds act or the ETF act. Right. And we're all more familiar with this than we think because every time we go into a bank and we, you know, we assign a whole bunch of documents um, that is again full of a whole bunch of language that basically gives the bank the permission 
to transfer our funds back and forth, right? Move when, when we go and we pay a bill online, we have to give the bank permission to move our money from one place to another. And what we're basically doing is giving a company access to our money without having to continuously ask us for that permission to get access to our money. And what the federal law says is any business who is going to touch the bank account of an individual, especially on a recurring basis, has to have something in writing that gives that company permission to hit that person's bank account on a regular recurring basis. Now, this is really important if we have what are called ACH transactions. And that's something that's been bigger and bigger um, growing in the, in the gym industry Lower because fees. you avoid the credit card fees. You just go right into somebody's uh, checkings or savings account and you pull the money right out. Um, and you need something in writing that gives you permission to do that. Uh, now, it, 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 it's a little bit more vague when we're talking about debit cards and credit cards. Uh, it, it appears as though it also applies to debit and credit cards, um, but you know you're not actually getting rate. You are with a debit card getting rate at somebody's you know bank account, but not so much with a credit card. But in order to avoid that gray area, we just don't even worry about it. Um, so if you are taking money from somebody without having them acknowledge you taking that money every time you do it, you have to have something in writing that says you're allowed to take money from them. And so if we look at one of our recreational members that are coming into the gym, let's just say it's $100 a month. And, and they're going to say, okay, you know, you're just going to charge them on the first of every month on a regular recurring basis, an auto-renewing membership that's just going to hit their bank account or their credit card or whatever it is for $100 a month. Get something in writing that says you're allowed to do that. Um, and, and if you've ever had an instance where one of your members goes and does a chargeback on their credit card, you're going to lose that definitely if you don't have anything in writing. You have a little bit more of an argument against that chargeback if you at least have something in writing. But if you don't have anything in writing, you're definitely going to lose that chargeback argument. doesn't matter how much you try to fight against it. Now, that's from up here. That's, that's federal law. That goes across the United States. Trickling down from that moves into state-specific laws. Again, not practiced in every state, so you can't take all of this as legal advice without talking to me one-on-one -on -one or talking to another attorney in your state, but almost every state has what we refer to as health club acts. Now, I'm licensed to practice in Pennsylvania. We call it the Health Club Act. I think North Carolina calls it like the Automatic Entertainment Payment Act or something like that. All right, each each state that has one of these calls it something slightly different. I'm just going to refer to them as the Health Club Act. Okay. What the Health Club Act does is it dictates whether or not a gym needs something in writing. Nine times out of ten, again, if you're taking some kind of recurring payment from your members, you need to have something in writing. Okay. And they, they'll talk about this as prepayment. Right. And and oftentimes we like to like, like parse out this language and say, well, I'm not charging them in advance for three months, right? A paid in full kind of contract. So is this really paid for in advance? Yes, it is. Right. Because none of us are charging at the end of the month for the person's use at the beginning of the month. We're all charging at the beginning of the month for the use through the remainder of the month. Right. So right. that's a that's a paid in advance membership. And so your state may likely 
say that if you're going to take money in advance and on a recurring basis, you need to have a written contract and your written contract must contain these various different pieces of language or else your membership contract is completely void and you're exposing yourself to civil litigation, potentially criminal litigation, depending on which state you're in. Wow. So you could be criminally liable if you yep. don't have your contracts set up for your members. Yeah. If you take money from your members on a recurring basis without giving them these notices of how they can automatically cancel and how they can get refunds and, and what happens if the gym moves. And, you know, a lot of us were like, well, I'm never going to like move my location. Doesn't matter. Has to be in there. Um, we've got, we've seen states that will consider it a third degree felony if you're caught. And if, if you push back against a gym member and the member sues you for it. Yeah, it did. Some states take them really seriously. Some states make them really difficult if you're going to be compliant. And what we try to do is just make sure that you're prepared so that you never end up in that situation because it's, it's far too late if you end up in that situation. What are those states? Now I'm curious. Who, who I, you know, I was afraid you were going to ask me. I <laughs> want to say that, that, that the, the one state, I think it was either like, it was started with an A. It was either like Alabama or Arkansas. Um, and, and I was reading down through the statute and I saw that and I was like, holy crap, that's a, a felony. Usually it's just civil litigation. You can right. lose a heck of a okay. lot of money. But, so you don't know any gym owners yeah. that have been like actually criminally charged like no, personally. no. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> I was like, you hopefully, just made some people's hopefully hearts never. Um, So <laughs> now if you already have members and you don't have them on contracts, uh, is it something you can now say, Hey, look, we have a new contract in place. We need you to just acknowledge, like acknowledge this. It's showing that you're going to be charged on this date. And yep. So this is something yeah. that people yeah, you can, can correct. Yep. Yeah. You can go back and, and put together the membership contract now, um, just have everybody sign it. Or if you're using a contract now that isn't compliant with your local laws, go ahead and have it updated and then go back and just have people re-sign it. No big deal. And again, they need to go through their attorney because they're probably not going to write it correctly. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Well, you've given me so much to think about, and we haven't even gotten into employment law. Uh, <laughs> we haven't even gotten to just general liability. We didn't talk about like the big, uh, you know, employment, uh, employee misconduct and those kind of things. Uh, there's so many other aspects of, of law, and it's really hard as, as a gym owner, right? Because most of us you're an attorney, so it's a little different, right? But most of us mm -hmm. didn't get into this with a legal no. frame of reference, you know? Um, and there isn't a, a really simple how-to guide, you know, these are all the things you need to do when you start your business, unless you're paying for a consultant, you're paying for someone to help you. Uh, it's, it's really hard to find that information. Uh, so this has been, I mean, I, you've even dropped some knowledge bombs on me, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, so very, very good stuff. Uh, I would love to have you back to talk about more of this. Um, yeah, but before we go, uh, are people able to reach out to you? Are you, is gym lawyers licensed to practice in all 50 States? Uh, mm -hmm. how does that, how does that work? 
Yeah, yeah, that that that's a really great question. Um, so we are not licensed to practice in all 50 states. And so what we have to be clear about is that we do not actually represent you. Okay. okay so so let's let's say you reach out and you call me and, and you say, hey, you know, um, I need help and you know through our conversation we realize that really what you need help with is your membership contract okay so we're having a conversation i'm educating you on why you need to have various provisions within your membership contract as we have just done um, and we consult with you about what needs to be in there and then if you decide to go ahead and hire us what we do is we take your information we take publicly accessible information that we know is out there online your state statutes are all out there we just know where to look for it and we put it all together in a membership contract and send it back to you in a turnkey form that you can then modify if you want you can use it um, but here is what it is if you knew where to, to get all of this information here's all the information put together for you in an organized way okay now if you call me up and you say hey um i've been charging this member a hundred dollars a month for the last six months and they haven't been coming to my gym and now they want all their money back and they're suing me for it i can't help okay because that becomes representation and that's where i can't come to wherever you know i think you said oregon right i can't i can't fly to oregon and, and file a whole bunch of paperwork on your behalf and talk to attorneys on the other side and negotiate and everything else um in those instances will help you like sort of farm around and find an attorney in your area that knows enough about the area the like the specific area of law that you're going to end up dealing with that we can refer you to those to, you know that attorney or we might help you pick like from four different attorneys um but we do have to be clear that we don't represent you uh all we're doing is providing you with the necessary information for you to make a you know a, a business decision to limit your legal exposure okay and it's like so you can help uh draft uh initial drafts of new member contracts waivers mm -hmm. um and, and employee aspects, agreements employee agreements sublease okay. agreements yep um buying and selling documents non-compete clauses yeah yeah we in any of those legal documents any, we got to talk about non-competes <laughs> oh we got to talk about those next time uh because those sure. are so huge in this industry um everyone wants a but yes we we can help with all of that stuff um and you know what, what i'll what i'll often say generally is you know as we talked about in the very beginning of this this stuff is scary. Attorneys are scary. Attorneys cost a lot of money. Nobody wants to call an attorney and talk to them. But we all have questions about this stuff. And so what I'll tell you and, and, and the listeners is, if you have a question, I try not to be scary. I'm not going to charge you for the phone call. I don't charge until I actually have to start thinking about things, right? Or I have to start doing work. Um, just call me. Or, or shoot me a, an inquiry through the website or send me an email and, and let me hear about your problem and let me say, this is what you need to do, right? And, and, and so that's, that's, what we're tr that's what we're here to do is bringing this legal education to the gym industry in order to make sure that people are actually educated on the fact that it exists 
and how it impacts your business. And it may be a big problem that you need to, I need to refer you to somebody else. It may be a problem I can help you with. It may not even be a problem, but you don't know until you just ask somebody. Um, totally. I, I love that. So I want to get to your contact info here in a second, but you brought up a scenario earlier, which was like, so you've charged someone for six months. They haven't been coming. They want their money back and now they're <laughs> suing you. Um, I know you can't give legal advice, but is it, mm-hmm. uh, I've heard this, this non-legal legal advice tossed around on Facebook groups. Is it an admission of guilt if you refund their money? No. Not if, not if, if you guys enter into negotiations um, and you refund their money, that is, uh, well, I shouldn't well, just I, like I jump just in. Say, no. Let's say someone contacts right. you and says, hey, you've been charging me for the last six months. I haven't been coming. I want my money back. And you go, man, shoot. Sorry about that. Yeah, let me get that refunded. Are you exposing yourself to liability by giving that money back to that person? I mean, under those very specific limited facts, and that's all you—that's all—that's all you're allowing me, because you know the attorney's answer is always it depends, because right. there's so many different scenarios yep. that can jump in there. So I shouldn't just jump in instantly and go no, right? Um, but and it, the short answer to those very limited facts that you just gave me is no. I mean, what what are you really exposing yourself to if you're just you're already giving them their money back? Right. right. What are they still right. going to come after you for? You, you, they made a demand. You gave them their money back. Now, the proper way to do this is they call you up and they say, I want my $600 back. And you say, okay. And you send them a written document that says you're not admitting any liability and you're not acknowledging that you owe them this money back. You're just simply settling this in order to avoid any potential issues coming up in the future. They sign that and they send it back to you and then you can give them their $600 back. Right. That's that's the that's the better way to do it to like avoid yeah. any potential. Am I admitting any liability? Not if you put it in writing that you're not and they right. sign it and then okay. they can get their money back. Awesome. Well, uh, so how do people get in contact with you? What's the best way uh, before mm-hmm. we hop off? Yeah, thanks. The, the the best way is just to go to the website, gymlawyers.com and submit an inquiry form. I think the email, uh, I guarantee the email address is in there, matt at jimlawyers.com. And I always have to specify, jimlawyers.com is G-Y-M lawyers.com, not J-I-M. I don't know why people <laughs> would think it's Jim, <laughs> but it's Jim like gymnasium, G-Y-M lawyers.com. Um, but also on the website is the phone number, um, that's my cell. I don't, I don't try to hide from people. Okay. Um, so shoot me a text message, call me. Um, if I don't recognize the number, it'll go to voicemail and I'll call you right back, but I'm not trying to hide. So gymlawyers.com, submit a form, send me an email, call me, text me. Awesome. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a my wonderful pleasure, rest of your holiday weekend. Uh, you get to take your dog on a walk and help them find that squirrel that they're barking at Um, (laughs) that you just won't shut up about (laughs) but yeah thank you so much for joining us and we will have to have you back soon anytime dad thank you for joining us for this episode of the next generation gym owners people and profits podcast if you would like to be featured on our podcast click the link in our description to apply If you're interested in joining NextGen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com. 
And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.